Hi there, listeners. It's the host and producer, Vicki J. Carter, here of this podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And before we jump into the episode, I wanted to stop real quickly and share with you the newest project that I'm working on. If you are an author, I think you might be interested in it. I have a YouTube channel that I just launched called The Author's Librarian on YouTube. And on that YouTube channel, I am going to share with you free accessible resources that you can use to help you with researching. I'm going to give you tips. I'm also interviewing librarians and I'm writing a book to help authors with researching. So I hope you find me there on that YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the program. Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the super privilege of bringing back not only one of my friends, but also an author that we had way back in episode 21 in August of 2018. And life has just been insane for everybody, including her. And so I would love to reintroduce you all to Denise Kawai, otherwise known as DK Green. So Denise, say hello. Hello, everybody. I cannot believe it's been two years. <laughs> it's been two years. I know. I went and looked back at what episode your first episode was, and I'm like, episode 21? Are you kidding? <laughs> so tell us, Denise, what have you been up to short version in the last two years? There's just a lot to unpack, so <laughs> you can unpack yeah, what you um, want. <laughs> so I have made a transition as many people have. When we talked before, I was writing primarily middle grade science fiction, and I had a memoir and was doing a lot of public speaking. I am now not doing any public speaking. (laughs) That's gone. But I've, I've transitioned to writing crime. And so I have a cozy mystery series. It's the Mac Jones series. And then the Killers Club series, which is dirty, gritty serial killers in the Pacific Northwest crime. And what's cool is the main character in the Mac Jones series, she is one of the investigators in Where Bodies Lie. So she crosses over both books. That's so cool. Because I know you had talked about that way back in episode 21, that your uh, pen name DK Green was because you had already started to dabble in writing in some crime. And you wanted to segregate that a little bit because you had a lot of fans from your sci-fi that might have been too young for that. So are you mainly now writing under DK Green under the crime and fiction? I, I am. That is my focus, at least through the next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to get at least the first three books of the series, the Killers Club series out before I go back to science fiction. And how's it going for you compared to science fiction? What's the difference between the 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 backroom admin part of it? It is going better. It's going very well. When I started, I relaunched my DK Green pen name. Because like you said, I had written under that name 
a long time ago. I had, I think, seven newsletter subscribers. Yeah. Sounds like me. Let's get yeah, a couple of months. I was in the thousands and people are just flocking to crime. So I love it. it has really like all the nuts and bolts of writing the book and putting the book out is all the same, but getting attention for the book is, has been so much easier than it was in middle grade. It's been kind of bonkers. I've said over and over again on this podcast, because we live in the Pacific Northwest and we start to hit, we're recording this in October. So you will be having, this is so people are getting insider on how I do this. You'll be coming out probably in January, February with this podcast. And we start hitting that super dark zone, clouds, gray, and we have so many crime fiction writers and so many good crime fiction stories that come out of the Pacific Northwest. And I swear it's because of our climate change, the darkness. I find that fascinating. How did it get started for you? I know you dabbled in it. What made you decide to go ahead and jump and make the total transition? Really, it was, I made it to the end of my sci-fi series, the Adeline series. I closed out the fifth book and I wanted to do another full series. And in, while I was putting the fifth book together, I, I had a crime novel out and I put it on like the Kindle five days free from Kindle Unlimited or whatever. And it was downloaded a thousand times in 24 hours. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I was like, oh, because I didn't tell anybody, like I didn't advertise it to anyone. So I was like, I think I'm going to go back to crime right now. Awesome. Yeah. So did, did you do a whole redesign? I'm sorry, I haven't looked at your website for a while. So I can't say I know this for truth, but did you do a redesign or did you just launch a new website? So everything is published under Kauai Times. That is my publishing site. And so it... For people who have multiple pen names, mm -hmm. it's well for me because each of my pen names just has a separate page on my website. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Only updating one group of things at a time. So yeah, I have a DK Green page on kawaiitimes.com. And what I do is when I have a new release, the main page just has, I think, 10 releases, which is crazy. <laughs> I have that many books. But, and then that just shifts, whatever comes out is on that top page. And then, yeah, you can just click on that you like crime and it takes you over to the DK Green stuff. That's so great. So if you heard the dog barking, I still apologize. We're trying to manage podcasting with dogs at home, educating, <laughs> which my dogs have not been educated well lately. <laughs> oh my gosh. Some of the, watching the news, all those poor newscasters working from home. Um, oh, they're not used to it, are they? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So would you say between the two different genres, do you have a passion for one or the other? Or you just feel like you are, this is just the stage you're in now and you might go back or maybe you'll do some romance or something else? I have a hard time sticking with one thing. That is the honest truth. And so for the moment, I'm really into crime because it's going and the stories are fresh in my brain that I'm writing. And so it's, it is my current focus and I have set a goal that I will stick to 
probably. Mm -hmm. But I know I will go back to science fiction because my son has started reading those books. Yeah, I saw you posted that on Instagram. It was so adorable. It's, it's so it's <laughs> Tell the story cool. so everybody knows what you posted. <laughs> yeah, the Adeline series is uh, about a kid who grows up in a world that's run by robots. And I've read the books to my son before, and he liked them. But not too long ago, I was up late reading my own book, past my bedtime, and I heard this like crazy laughter, which is, it was like one in 1230 or one in the morning. And I'm like, what is going on? So I go in and I op creak open my son's door and he's reading my book and he <laughs> was laughing so hard at some joke that I have in there. And normally I would be like, kid, go to bed. But I just couldn't. I just let him go. <laughs> Like, that is just the best story ever, honestly. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, now he's got your number. If I just laugh, she'll let me stay up longer, even if I don't even, not even reading your book. I'm right? no, just kidding. <laughs> he was probably just telling my me, cover over whatever, over whatever you're reading. <laughs> right. Don't let him hear this podcast. <laughs> we don't need to encourage it. No, we need to encourage the reading. That's for sure. Okay, so Denise, transitioning, what has been the biggest challenge that you had to overcome from writing what you're writing to writing crime now? The biggest challenge I think was just the shift in research. I am a, we've talked about that before, mm -hmm. I love to research and I will go down a rabbit hole and be lost forever if I'm not careful. But with the Adeline series, it was very, it based on genetic engineering and robotics and AI and trying to peel my brain away from that and get back into like real world, what actually people do, could do, took some time. But that's probably been the biggest hurdle. Other than that, it's been pretty easy for me because I have a weird background with crime. I grew up here in the Pacific Northwest and we have serial murders. I don't know. I don't know what it, the deal is. It's a phenomenon. I'm telling it's, you right It now. is crazy. Mm -hmm. We've had this so when, you and I off camera before. <laughs> yeah. So when I was younger, I moved to Hawaii to get away from the Pacific Northwest because I decided that I wouldn't live here anymore. And as soon as I moved, Gary Ridgway's court case came up and I realized that I had been living like in the same part of town as him mm -hmm. by his work to get to my work. And it really, I, I reacted to that in a way that made my ex-husband really uncomfortable. <laughs> it was just fascinating. But so my love of crime stuff goes back decades. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So and tell if people are now Googling, trying to figure out who you're talking about, just recap who he was. I know he was. I grew up in the Northwest and I know exactly all about it too. And yeah, I'm so very fascinated with crime because I feel like we've had such huge, crazy high profile things happen in our area. So Gary Ridgway is known as the Green River Killer. There you go. See, everybody goes, oh, yeah, we know yeah. who that is. Oh, so, yeah, he was 15 minutes from my old apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's totally insane. And then I, what really attracts me to the crime stuff is I am fascinated by the psychology of people who commit violent crime on a repeating basis. There's not a lot that 
there's not a lot of foresight that goes into a crime of passion like someone like gets super crazy over some an individual thing that happens and that's pretty easy to wrap your head around mm -hmm. all have had explosive emotions at one point or another but people who like integrate it in their lives and they do violent things over and over again is and the way that they justify it is really interesting to me and that's actually where the uh, basis of where bodies lie comes from is it's about the son of a serial killer oh smart yeah and the killer has been caught but there's dozens of cold cases that they think are attributed to him and he says that he will start giving up their bodies but he will only tell his son who has been hiding out since his dad got arrested it's uh it's very family drama but really in the extreme like those parental and child relationships where the parent is really condescending and the kid is just trying to make it on their own but it is amped up because the the stakes are so much higher absolutely fascinating do you listen to podcasts crime podcasts i really i wish i could say yes mm -hmm. i want to to like all of that stuff i have a hard time with audio mm. they just don't stick in my brain very well and then i also have an eight-year-old son who is involved oh. in everything i do and so I have, I have to really be conscious about what is going on in the background or even in my headphones because he'll get real close and listen mm -hmm. so when i catch them i find them to be very interesting but i'm not very good at keeping up with them I'm not super good at keeping up with them either. I have to take breaks. Everybody that doesn't know me and gets to know me, they're often surprised. They're like, oh, you're so kind and so sweet. And I have a total addiction to crime <laughs> to the point of where my sister and my daughters, when we go to Disneyland, now my daughters are grown adults. And when we go to Disneyland, when we're in the hotel room, we have true crime mysteries on the entire time. We're at the happiest place on earth when we're watching true crime. And we always laugh. We're like, people are gonna think we're crazy, but that's like what we do. My sister and I have always been like, we need to figure this out. It's always the boyfriend. It's always us. <laughs> right. So my sister turns me on every once in a while to a really good podcast. Last year in October, right after Halloween, we had that big, gigantic, gorgeous Halloween. And then mm -hmm. my sister and I took off over to drive um, about eight hours to my parents' house. So we were listening to a true crime podcast that she was listening to. And it was absolutely fascinating. It was, I can't remember the name of it now, but he was confessions of a serial killer. And he literally went through all of his reasonings and his disclosures of the bodies and how he did all of it. And I'm just like, I don't understand the psychology of it behind it, but it's so fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have friends who are also very into true crime. And just like you said, your sister does, they'll send me things. They're like, I know you're busy, but at two in the morning when the kid is asleep or whatever pay attention to this yeah it's well i was talking to someone recently and they their concern was that people who write crime and follow crime might glorify it in mm. some way because it is fascinating and interesting but i think it's important to for someone to sit back and try and figure out 
what causes all of that to happen. And then I think that's why it gets so addicting for so many people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just want to know like yeah. what it is that happens so that you can prevent it from happening again. Absolutely. And I think that it, there's some value in what you're saying about trying to figure out why it's happening so it doesn't happen again. And I understand that side of the point of the glorification of it. And there probably are writers out there that do glorify the actual horrific acts more than necessary. But if anybody knows me, they know there's two things I can't stand and that's violent, well, three, violence against women, children, and animals to the point of where you will get very bad reactions out of me if there's that going on. And so I don't think it's so much the acts that are fascinating. It's just the idea that somebody is so broken somewhere, somehow, and they can assimilate in life so easily. As a mother, I always used to wonder who are my kids around at school and stuff as adults and stuff. And it always made me worried. And I think that's where my interest is because I, I want to be the kind of person that can read somebody and say, yep, that's a serial killer (laughs) and stay away from them. But that's the problem is that it's hard to read those individuals. They have such a master mind. And I think that's why I try to figure it out. (laughs) And the more variety of cases that people look at, the more apparent that it's, you don't know what your neighbor is doing behind closed doors. Like you, you really don't. And it is scary to me the amount of people we don't know that we allow to influence our lives in some way. I used to be so into Craigslist, like Mm -hmm. stuff on Craigslist. And then when the Craigslist killer came out, (laughs) (laughs) oh, I have been letting people like meet me wherever. And sometimes I have someone with me, but often I wouldn't. I would just Mm -hmm. meet in a parking lot and swap whatever I was selling. It's that is, it seems like it's not a big deal, but sometimes it is a big deal and you don't know when those people are going to pop up. Yep. You don't. And that's the aspect of virtual life and virtual world that has made it even more challenging. And I, I have this whole idea of doing like cyber books on cyber criminals and and nothing I'm ever going to write crime because I can't even get my first book out. Here we are two years later and I still have my first book out. Denise has written how many, goodness. But I think the cyber aspect and the computer and technology aspect, as much as I love computer technology and how it's opened up my world as a writer to enrich me and have podcasts and meet people all over the world, it also does the same for people with personalities that want to do harm. And so... That's an interesting aspect that I think would be fun to explore. I'm sure there's authors out there that are doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, so we are in the, everyone's doing everything at home. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky that I was doing homeschool before everything fell apart. So we were already set up for that. But this year, my son is doing book reports and he's doing a lot of research on the computer. So one of the things that we are learning about is how to use the internet safely um, mm-hmm. across everyone. And it's, it's really so much easier to get sidetracked into something that you don't want to be a part of today compared to when I was a child using the internet, the green screen. No kidding, I remember. Servers. I know my daughters now that are grown up, they were telling me stuff. I'm like, I don't even know that 
is in the world. What are you talking about? <laughs> How did you find this stuff? <laughs> You're like, mom, it's on the internet. Ah, stay off the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Okay. So on this vein, what's been the biggest frustration for you switching from switching genres? Is there a frustration? Probably starting over, getting a, new, a brand new group of readers. It has been easier to collect readers in crime for me than it was in the middle grade science fiction. But those people from middle grade science fiction have been with me for years, five, five years, six years, maybe longer than that. And starting completely from scratch has been a challenge uh, and doing it without any face-to-face -face interaction because I started doing all this just before everything 2020 a mess before yeah. 2020 because that's the thing as as the sci-fi stuff most of my book sales were at conventions and book fairs and events and there just is none of that anymore so i've really had to shift gears and figure out how to be totally online which is a struggle because i'm really great face to face with people and so not having that connection where you can hand them your book and they can hold it in their hands and decide if they like it or not is it's a very different world and i'm just the opposite i love being online i love the camera computer technology aspect going to convention scares the bejeebies out of me even though i can do it if i had to but Man, when we all went to lockdown, I'm like, yes, now I can shine in my element. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. it's awesome. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it has been great that I had, I had some online presence before. And I know authors that have their recluses. They don't. And so they're, they've been all online for a long time. They have not been impacted as much as those of us who really based stuff on in-person sales. Yeah, so far with your two genres, putting that into consideration, what is the one hidden pitfall with being an author who does multiple genres? What do you think is the biggest pitfall that you can see that prevents people from being successful at writing in two genres? It's re it really comes down to focus. I decided very early in my writing career that I know what I was good at writing. And so I would just write whatever came to me and see what people responded to. And so I, I wrote all over the board. I started with a romance and then got into science fiction and dabbled in crime. And the benefit of doing that is that you really find out like who you are as a writer and what comes naturally to you. And it's a really great way of developing your voice because you have such a wide variety of characters and settings. But people who read science fiction are not the same people who, re who read cozy mysteries. There is always some crossover, but it's a very small amount. And so the biggest hurdle that I, I think people brush off is just being able to build enough of a community around one genre or another or all of them to really have consistent sales and consistent read through and feedback. I consciously chose that path for myself because of the way my brain works. I have a hard time not going a million different directions. 
but that's probably the biggest hurdle for all of the people who write in multiple genres. That's great. That's great. So I'm going to ask you another kind of follow-up question to that. And I know you did do some public speaking and I got to be at least one of the events here in our area and you talked about overcoming the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So when you had those little voices pop in your head that said, hey, you're not a crime writer, how did you overcome that? Talk with us through that. I probably talked to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best um, way, right? <laughs> yeah, but... I try really hard not to worry about that stuff. I am constantly reminding myself and other people that it's all pretend. If something's wrong in the book, yes, people who are really hardcore and know, you know, exactly what firearm the FBI <laughs> in 1989 carried, there will be people who bring up mistakes or whatever, but it's not the end of the world. It's a fiction story and it's okay if it's not perfect the the whole you're not really a writer thing just as a whole pops up not i won't say frequently but it does pop up with some regularity and i you just have to fight through it and realize that if you have written anything whether it's published or not you are a writer um, and if you make it to the end of anything, then you've beat out all the writers who never made it past their first chapter. So you have to give yourself a pat on the back for all the little wins, I think. I love it. And I'm taking that in as myself as I'm sitting here recapping the two years in my mind of our first conversations, and I still don't have the damn book out. <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll tell you, you, I'll tell you, my first book took me uh, seven years. Okay, good. I'm right in line. <laughs> yeah, you're doing just fine. Um, <laughs> Two years, right? <laughs> yeah. The more you do it, the easier it is. Mm-hmm. You get into a rhythm with a production schedule and you know exactly like what needs to happen when. Mm-hmm. But it's okay if it takes forever between books or for the book. It's It really is okay. So let's jump into the book you want to share with us. So kind of set the stage for your reading. Tell us about the characters, the scenario, the scene, and then take us into the reading. I'm going to sit back and listen, go on mute so the rowdy dogs don't come on the podcast and, and interrupt you. And then you are free to share with us everything you want to about this book. Okay. So Where Bodies Lie is it takes place in the Pacific Northwest and it is based around this guy named Peter and he is striving so hard to have a normal life and he's failing miserably because his secret is that his father is a prolific serial killer who was arrested when Peter was in middle school and Peter grew up in the system under witness protection and no one really knows who he is. So he's really trying to be a good guy. And he gets this opportunity when the investigator who started working on his dad's cases is nearing retirement and decides he wants to try and close some of those cases up before he signs off as a FBI investigator. So he tracks Peter down and he says, your dad says he will let go of some of these bodies so that we can close the cases, but he'll only talk to you. 
And Peter struggles. He has not spoken with his dad for obvious reasons. It would be very difficult to have a serial killer father. And ultimately, he decides that he will speak to his dad and just see if he can be the hero for all these families who have been grieving for so long. So I'm going to read the chapter where Peter finally goes to see his dad in prison. And like I said, all of the places in this book are in the Pacific Northwest. So he goes down to Sheridan, Oregon to be in the interview room or the family meeting room with his dad. Henry! Ollie leans forward as if to stand to greet his son, but the chain attached to his wrists catches on the chair, stopping him halfway. Hi, Dad. Peter doesn't reach out to shake hands or lean close for a hug. Instead, he stays out of arm's reach and carefully sits down opposite his father. Ollie looks exactly the same as Peter remembers from childhood. Being locked up seems to have somehow preserved him. He smiles the same proud smile that he used to give when Peter got an A on his report card. Peter mirrors his expression, a warm feeling spreading through him as he's taken back. When he rests his hands on the cold steel table between them, he's reminded of where they are. It's good to see you. You're all grown up. There's a pleased gleam in Ollie's eyes and he moves in to touch Peter's hand. Peter might have appreciated the gesture before his childhood dissolved. He doesn't bother hiding the cringe, overtaking his features. He spent a lifetime trying to forget they're related. The thought of Ollie's skin touching his own makes him ill. He takes a deep breath, forcing the nausea and stinging sensation behind his eyes to subside. Yep, I'm 32 now. Where does the time go? Ollie draws his hand back and raises his eyebrows in question as if the way time moves truly escapes his understanding. Seeing his father clad in orange, wrists and ankles chained together at Peter's request, is an even more awkward family reunion than Peter imagined it could be. He swivels his head, reminding himself they aren't alone. All around them, people in orange jumpsuits visit with family and friends wearing casual street clothes. It reminds him of a mall's food court, family meetings among a crowd of distracted people. Of course, no sporks in this building, and it smells more like bleach than lo mein noodles. The brief comparison dissolves. Instead of forcing himself to reminisce with his absentee father, Peter gets to the point. Dougie told me you want to talk. Ollie laughs. The sound trickles between the cracks of Peter's anxiety, filling them with the warm glow of his father's happiness. You still call him that? He hates it. I didn't ask him to show up at my front door, Peter answers. He allows his cheek to pull at a smile. I'll call him whatever I want. Ollie nods, pleased with his son's defiance. I'm glad you came. It's truly a blessing to see you. Peter allows a layer of tension to fade away. He won't admit it to anyone, least of all his father, but it's nice to see him too. I've decided it's time to let Carol go. 
Ollie's face drops as if he's a farmer putting down his favorite dog. I've been getting letters from her daughter. She wants her new baby to have a place to visit her grandma. I think that's a good enough reason to give her up. This time, Peter's the one to reach forward. A knot of emotion catches in his throat. He can't imagine what it would be like to not have a graveyard to visit. The gaping wound he tended in the years after his mother's death may never have gone numb if he hadn't been able to take a pilgrimage to her headstone whenever he needed to see her. He touches Ollie gently and the elder man responds by pulling Peter's hand into his fierce grip. I'm glad you're ready for this one, Dad. Maybe after Carol, we can find a few more. Maybe. Ollie's eyes glaze over and Peter knows he means probably not. So now that I'm here, what's next? Will they give us some paper and a pen so you can draw me a map? Ollie cracks a sly smile. No, I don't think I can picture it well enough right now. It might take a little conversation to jog my memory. Peter revisits the familiar feeling of disappointed resignation. He should have known it wouldn't be that easy. Okay, Dad, what do you want to talk about? You mostly, Ollie beams. Tell me about yourself. If Ollie won't give up information, Peter doesn't know how long the guards will let them visit. To save time, he dives right in. Peter tells his father briefly about Elsie, his apartment high in the hills of Northwest Portland, and his job at Ronix. Ollie seems interested in Peter's work. They talk a while about program errors and office politics. Your boss sounds like a real jerk, Ollie says. There's nothing for Peter to do but agree. Ollie leans across the table and lowers his voice. Want me to send someone to take care of him? I just started this Bible study group with a couple guys who can get things done outside. Peter's heart stops beating and his breath turns to ice in his chest. He stares at his father, fingers of terror encroaching as he worries he's accidentally sentenced his manager to death. Ollie bursts into laughter. Only kidding, son, only kidding. Peter looks around the room. He hopes no one overheard his father. How will he explain away a joke like that if they stop him on the way out? I've got to get going. I need you to tell me where Carol is. Otherwise, that's it. I won't come back. Peter glances up as a family across the room says their goodbyes. Forests in the Northwest are beautiful in the fall, don't you think? Ollie closes his eyes in a moment of silent nostalgia. He breathes in deep as if pretending to smell the wet leaves. But Peter knows the monster he is. He thinks he isn't daydreaming of crisp fall days at all. It's possible he's imagining the mingling smells of Carol's decomposing body and the freshness of the newborn baby she left behind. Peter squeezes his eyes shut too. His thumb twitches on the table. He reminds himself the baby was fine. Carol left the infant at her aunt's house and never returned to pick her up. That's how they knew she'd gone missing. Now the baby's the one writing to his father, a grown woman pleading for her mother's remains. He forces his eyes open, commands his lungs to breathe, and works his jaw loose so he can speak. You hid Carol in the woods? Ollie only opens one eye. 
but the disapproving glance hits him, his mark. I never said that, Hen. I was just making a casual observation, Peter nods. We're done here then. Ollie's face falls, age lines deepening. He mutters that he understands. An officer is beside them before Peter stands up, and he knows for certain that their conversation wasn't private. Chatter between the other inmates and their families stops when a second officer joins Ollie to guide him in an ironclad shuffle across the room. The first officer puts his hand on the door and looks up at a nearby camera. A slight click sounds from inside the frame and the solid steel door swings open. The guards escort Ollie through the opening, returning him to the cell block. Peter finds Dougie and Special Agent Jones waiting in the hallway. Dougie pats Peter on the back. Outstanding work, Henry, excellent. It's Peter. He brushes the inspector's hand off his shoulder and heads toward the exit. Special Agent Jones calls after him. Did he tell you anything? He says he started a prison Bible study group and offered to kill my boss. What about Carol? Inspector Douglas asks. Peter stops. He makes a quarter turn looking behind him at the inspector and his partner. I think she's in the woods. One of the interesting things in my science fiction series, all of my characters are numbered. They don't have names. And in this book, Peter's real name is Henry and his father insists on calling him Henry always. And the inspector has known him since he was a kid and also calls him Henry. So he's constantly reminding people that his name is Peter through. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one other thing, anybody that's heard the podcast and hear me talk with any crime writers, I am terrified of finding a dead body in the forest. Just so you know. So you just wrote about my <laughs> biggest, I'm like, of course I will go hiking someday and this will happen to me. So terrifying. That was the fun part of writing this book. And it sounds, it does, it sounds awful, but I, pre-COVID, we traveled to most of the places that I write about. Mm -hmm. And they're that I used to go when I was a kid. So like they go to the sea lion caves in Florence, Oregon, and they go to Kalama, Washington, and they really travel pretty extensively through Oregon and Washington on body hunts. And the best one was there's a scene in Baker City, Oregon, which is a teeny tiny town on the very edge of Oregon. And my, my grandmother lived there. And so before she passed away, I took her to out in the high desert where I wanted to write a scene. And she helped me dig around to figure out where they would actually hide a body. And That's she, awesome. <laughs> the funniest thing, she was laughing the entire time. And so it was something that I never thought I would do with my grandmother. <laughs> we, we had a great time. That's awesome research. <laughs> Okay, I'll let you keep going. I just, but I just had to mention that because it's like number one theme of my scared life. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, and maybe that's another uh, reason why there is so much crime here is the forest bleeds into the city. Mm -hmm. And it, there are places that just look like someone would hide something there. Yep. Yeah. Where Bodies Lie is the first book in the Killers Club series. And I am currently writing the second book, which is called Increased Mortality. And it takes place 
in Longview and Kelso, Washington. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. And increased mortality, Inspector Douglas and Special Agent Jones come back because there is a serial killer killing people in the hospital. And they come to try and figure out who is doing it and how it is connected with Oliver down in Sheridan, Oregon. That's super cool. Okay, so I'm going to have to read this series because it's just <laughs> too good. Living in our area and then following crazy serial killers, I think you've got a, a good magic going. <laughs> yeah, so when I was a kid and my teachers would say, right, what, I didn't really understand how fun that would be until I started writing stories in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. and, like, I can write about the cold, damp rain and the way it seeps into your jacket, even if you're wearing something waterproof and the different feelings of being in downtown Portland or being up on Mount Hood or Mount St. Helens or whatever. It, it is definitely a benefit to being there where you can see it and smell it and touch it and then write about it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so you have in, you're working on book two in your mind. Do you know how many will be in this series? I am not sure. I'm going to do three before I go work on something else, but I think that this series will probably be longer. I, I think it'll be probably at least 10 books. Oh, that's fantastic. Because once you get hooked on a series, you want to keep going. <laughs> I know, I yeah. know. And so... The interesting thing about Where Bodies Lie is my favorite character is Oliver. He is the serial killer in this book because he, he is obviously a very bad man, but he is also funny and charming and charismatic. He gives his son fatherly advice about budgeting and relationships and putting that duality of a normal dad together with someone that does something awful is is really fun to do as a writer. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's fast forward. This is going to be coming out a little bit after the first of the year. How do listeners find you and possibly what events you might be doing virtual or face-to-face? -face? So all of my books are on kawaiitimes.com and you just pick what genre you like and you will go to that pen name and see all the books. I also hang out on Instagram. I think it's Kawaii Times author on Instagram and all my personalities use the same account because <laughs> I can't, I can't it's just easier that way, right? Yeah, it is absolutely easier that way. And that's really the best way to find me is either through the website and then subscribe to one of my newsletters so that you'll find out what's coming out next. Yep. I get your newsletters and I love them. Yeah. So yeah. Excited. And then Instagram. Yeah. I, it is the uh, social media that works the best for my brain. So mine too. I I have Insta I have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I post across all of them. But I spend the most time responding on Instagram, and I don't know if it's because it's visually so much better for me. I'm a visual person, so I love to see pictures and things like that. Uh, so. I'm an Instagram fanatic. I would rather, if I could get rid of Facebook and Twitter, I would, but I'm afraid if I do, that I might miss something. Yeah, I, I feel yeah. Yeah, so. And then as far as events go, I, I really don't know what is 
what the future is holding for me. Right now, I am submitting to a couple of anthologies, and those come with their own set of events, which I hope to be a part of, but I can't talk about because in whenever this is airing, I probably won't know if I'm in them yet. And then I really hope to start going back to conventions again. But my spouse has two autoimmune disorders. And so we are grounded until it is safe for her to go out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that I will be doing any real events until probably 2022. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. When we can do events again and conventions, are you going to change which conventions you go to because you're doing a different genre? Because I know you did a lot of the sci-fi conventions. Yeah, I would probably just add on more of the mystery and crime and the Halloween conventions I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to going to. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that I can totally let go of doing. I I love Mm Comic-Con. I've gone every year since my son was an infant. And here in uh, Longview, there's the NanoCon that I have gone to every year. And so I think I will go back to those partly because I have a lot of fun with them. um, And partly because locally I have fans that expect me to be there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So as we leave the podcast, share with us a piece of advice that has been given to you that has helped you keep going as an author that you thought was probably some of the best advice given to you that you can share with us. Wow, the best advice. I have gotten a lot of it. Probably the best advice I got was to start a newsletter. And I know that is not exciting or glamorous. But when I focused on building a newsletter, both in science fiction and in crime, my sales increased and I started making more connections with people that run podcasts and do guest blog spots and all of those things have come through my newsletter. So that pro- I ignored that advice for a very long time. And I wish I would have listened. <laughs> 10 years ago. (laughs) No, I totally get it because I started immediately a newsletter and I don't know if people that get authors newsletters or podcasts or creative newsletters in their inbox, if they realize how much work it is every month to put together something that will be appealing and exciting and hopefully inspiring. And then it goes out and maybe two or three people open it. And we don't even know if people have read it, opening it and clicking and stuff. So I totally get the whole newsletter thing. I've actually stopped my newsletter. I don't know if you noticed, but I haven't put one out for a couple of months. Um, Yes, I did notice. (laughs) I went on a a sabbatical with everything and on on an actual vacation from work. And I'm like, I'm going to rethink this newsletter thing because I love doing it, but I don't like all the energy that I put into it. And I just feel like it, it never, some people don't open it. And so I'm rethinking my idea of it, but I'm glad you said that because it is, it's probably besides social media, which I can handle social media, but doing a newsletter on top of social media feels like extra work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely extra work. And actually I will amend my best advice. The best advice is to do whatever works for you. I like that. (laughs) I know, like, I know people who like, they tear it up on Twitter and, you know, 
followers, every time they put a link up, their followers buy stuff or sign up for things or visit their events. I know people who kill it on Facebook. I know people who really have built huge followings on Instagram and TikTok and all those things. You just ha you have to give everything a try until you find something that works for your personality, the demographic of the people you're trying to reach, and something that is engaging and entertaining enough that you will stick with it. Yep. It takes yep. that much time to build. Yeah, I think I wrote this to you in an email. You and I were emailing back and forth. And I said that I feel like right now in my stage, I'm throwing uh, spaghetti noodles at the wall to see what's going to stick. And yeah. what's going to stick is what I'm going to really focus in on. And this next few stages that I'm going through, I'm going to try a few other things and put aside or slow down on a couple of things to see what really gets some traction and also what's exciting to me. Right. <laughs> Newsletters aren't terribly exciting to me. I'll do them. I love the graphic part of them. But so we'll see what happens. But it's so great advice for any of us creatives or people that are putting ourselves out there to do what it feels best for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. And it, it's okay to take a break. Even if it's something that you like doing, eventually you hit a wall where you're tired or you're overwhelmed or whatever. And it is totally okay mm -hmm. to take, reassess how things are going. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are afraid to take their foot off the gas for a minute, but it's better for you as a individual, I think. I agree with you. My, my break from work and putting a pause for a couple of weeks was so beneficial. And then I'm going to, I already scheduled myself um, to take a break during the holiday season as far as recording for the podcast, because I am, I already know I'm shifting to something else. And it's so nice to get that space in your brain to be able to bounce other ideas off as long as you don't fill it up with everything else that's the problem is right. that space everything else comes crowding in Denise it has been so fun catching up with you I am so proud of you and I know you know this because I say these things all the time about how brilliant you are and you're like oh brilliant come on but I am inspired by you every time we talk um, I do miss you and we live in the same town and we don't even get to see each other right now. It's just crazy, but I'm so proud of you and happy for you. And I definitely am glad you came back on episode probably 105 after 21 of the podcast. And we got to catch up with you and all the changes and growth you've done with changing genres and writing a whole different genre. So thanks for being here for us. And maybe in what, 82 more episodes, we'll bring you back on and see what you're writing then. Probably romance. Sure. <laughs> you just never know with me. You never Thank know. You so much. Thank you so much for having me um, back on. It is always a pleasure to to talk to you. And I do hope that eventually I can see your face in person at some point. We will. I promise. Even if it's a mask, we'll do it. <laughs> sure. All right, Denise. We'll take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Authors Librarian, signing off.